Thank you all. Thank you. God, we thank you for all that you're doing, God. And we just invite you to continue to work in our hearts, God, to continue to work in our midst. Because everything that we do is pointless unless you are our focus. God, unless it's really truly about you and not about our gifts or our talents or our programs, Father. So I just, I invite your presence to continue to do a deep work in our lives. Draw us to yourself. Convict us of sin. Make yourself known through us. Let everything that we want burn out so that only you can burn. God, I thank you for your presence. God, I thank you that you are here. I thank you that you're touching hearts and lives. Those who are in this room, God, and for those who are watching, invade their space as well, Father. Invade their space as well. If we can turn up the house lights just a little bit. God wants to minister this morning to you, so he's not done yet. Um, Ephesians 6, 13 is kind of our verse for the year with our word for the year about fortifying and I'm going to read it in this translation then I'll read it in the Amplified translation for this reason take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand the Amplified version says therefore put on the complete armor of God so that you will be able to successfully resist and stand your ground in the evil day of danger. And having done everything that the crisis demands to stand firm in your place, fully prepared, immovable, and victorious. It's such a powerful verse because we are, the idea of the verse is that we're not attacking because our mindset is that we've already won. We just got to hold the victory. <laughs> I can say that way. So we're not fighting for victory but we're fighting from the place of victory and I just will be repeating this phrase throughout the year so that we could continue to fortify and part of fortifying is eliminating certain things the weak things in our lives that are places where Satan can get a hold of and try to destroy or deteriorate or distract divide confuse identify those areas strengthen them so that we can stand on him and stand in his strength and what the Christian world calls this is a form of spiritual warfare um, and I know spiritual warfare has a name that's that that's very could be very divisive because there are a lot of theatrics involved in spiritual warfare Have you guys ever been to a place where there's spiritual warfare and people have lost their minds no? No? It's called Asheville. <laughs> um, but 
I find that many people dismiss this idea of spiritual warfare. And um, I've got five little reasons of why I think that spiritual warfare is dismissed and see where you fall into this category. Um, and then I want to talk about something really, really specific that God just has highlighted. Um, it's at the first point, and I have quite a bit of points, but I think I want to focus on the first point because it's, it's sitting so heavy. Um, but five reasons why we, di- we may dismiss spiritual warfare or the idea of spiritual warfare. First reason could be because of biblical ignorance. We don't believe that it's in the Bible. Probably don't read the Bible, but we know that it's not in the Bible. <laughs> Two, we... Maybe because it's biblical irrelevancy, meaning that it is in the Bible, but it's just fairy taleized. It's just a story. Demons are like, whatever your story is on your tooth fairies and godmothers. And so, biblical irrelevancy. We don't feel like it's relevant, or the Bible is not really even relevant when it addresses these things. There are certain things in the Bible that that we can gravitate to, that we're comfortable with, but stay away from this. Um, third reason is that there's an, or we overemphasize the spiritual warfare. And I said this before, and, I, and I'm just repeating because this is groundwork for what God wants to do, but it's, it's this overemphasis that everything is demonic, everything is, is going to hell in a handbasket, and everything, the devil's behind every person and then whenever stories come up on the news where someone does something and they say that the devil made me do it, that's our mindset. And it creates a lifestyle of fear. There's this overemphasis on the demonic or the spiritual realm. Fourth one is underemphasis, which is like we know it's kind of there, but we're very passive with it. Did I, get it? Did I get anyone yet? Okay, good. And the fifth one is worldview. Um, spiritual beings are not a functional part of how we view the world and the way we live. So we have a Western worldview that basically says every effect has a physical cause. If you can't see it, touch it, taste it, smell it, or hear it, it probably does not exist. All phenomena can be eventually explained or accounted for materialistically, scientifically. Reality is material and mechanical. There is a spiritual realm. It has no relation to or impact on the physical realm. The author has defined scientific naturalism as a story that reduces reality to physical particles and impersonal laws, portrays life as a meaningless competition among organisms that exist only to survive and reproduce and sees the mind as no more than an emergent property of biochemical reactions. So we have this materialistic worldview that basically says that everything that happens has a physical and natural explanation. Another worldview is that we keep this spiritual warfare, the spiritual world, in the mission field. Where it doesn't happen here, it only happens in certain parts of the world, anywhere but here. 
There's an author that says that the issue is often framed as a choice between accepting modern scientific worldview or devolving into a gullible, uncritical acceptance of a primitive, pre-scientific worldview. Of course, this is not an issue, he says, of being scientific or not. It is an issue of whether we accept the predominantly naturalistic assumptions of certain understandings of science. It is in no way incompatible with the scientific method to give credence to a belief in a personal God or conversely to believe in the evil spiritual dimension. Notwithstanding, he continues, what has been said, many Christians remain functional deists. They don't deny that God exists or that there is a spiritual realm in which angels and demons are active. They simply live as if neither God nor spiritual beings of either sort have any genuine influential interaction with them. God isn't dead, but he might as well be. Angels and demons might exist, but what does that have to do with my life? So acceptance of an, an affirmation of the biblical worldview could lead to social stigma, and, and not too many people are wanting to endure the social stigma of believing something wacky. So aligning and being accepted oftentimes becomes more powerful than... Uh, than, than orthodoxy. That's, in a nutshell, I think, where a lot of us fall when it comes down to anything supernatural. And figure out where you are and see where God is pulling you. Because this is not about going to your side or my side or that side or that side. This is about making scripture the side that we all latch on to. And I promise you that if you want to latch on to scripture, you're going to have to release some of your presuppositions on certain things. If you're not releasing what you believe, then you're adding scripture. And when you're adding scripture to your life, then you are dulling its impact. You're mixing it. And so now you have a warped view of certain things. And so emphasizing this idea that's grounded in scripture without overemphasizing it or underemphasizing it, taking into account the natural and practical things that people do, and also stepping into an understanding that there is a spiritual world that is in everything that we do as well. Like, if we don't align ourselves with the biblical worldview of the supernatural and of the spiritual world, then we will always live a confused life. And we won't have victories in our life. So in Ephesians 6, we've read this. I'm going to read it again. We're going to read it together. It's going to be on the screen. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you may stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness against evil spiritual forces in heaven. And we're going to stop there. I'm not going to read anymore because God, God, God's wanting to do something here this morning and I'm going to let him. Um, the thing that Satan wants to do 
is to dismiss that there is a spiritual war so that he can get you to pick up physical weapons to try to fight a spiritual war, which is just not going to be effective to say the least. So if you dismiss the spiritual world, you will always pick up physical tools to fight flesh and blood. God does not want his people to be ignorant of the enemy. But God also does not want us to dedicate our life chasing down who the enemy is and how he works. The reason he doesn't want us to chase, us, chase him down is not because he doesn't want us to know, but because he has already been exposed. If you pick this little thing up, you will read how God has exposed him so that we don't have to. But God uses him to expose your spiritual condition. And I promise we're going to get into this armor of God. And I wanted to even last week. But God is just wanting me to park on this idea that we can get a very healthy understanding. That the spiritual world does exist. But it's not the idea that Satan makes you do things. He has lost. He cannot make you or force you to do anything that you already don't want to do. His work is through influence. His work is to pull out your desires that have not been surrendered to God. Highlight them and make you chase them. Your families are broken because you don't understand the spiritual dynamic of what's at play. Your husband is not horrible because the devil is behind it. Your husband is definitely not the devil. Maybe your wife, but definitely not your <laughs> husband. The schemes of Satan are not mysterious. Just because this world is invisible and Satan is invisible doesn't mean that it's fictional. How can you believe in a God that you don't see? When someone ever tells you that, Ask them that so something that's invisible does means that it's non-existent. And that's easily disputable because your thoughts are invisible. How many of thousands of thoughts that are happening right now? And God gave me the gift to see what you're thinking. <laughs> that would be a dangerous. Love is also invisible. So when someone tries to argue that just because it's invisible, that it's fictional, 
They're like an ostrich with their head in the sand. And God has sent you to rescue them. The thing of why it's invisible is because it's the root of the issues. We're always looking for the fruit, so we're looking for what we can see. And God is saying, you will see the fruit, but if you really want to know and figure out why the fruit that is produced is the fruit that is produced, you have to go to the invisible part of the tree, to the seed of the tree. So when it's invisible, it's not that it's fiction. What's it's, that the fact that it's invisible means that it is talking about the root of the issue more than the fruit. So, Genesis chapter 3 is where it all started. This is how God exposes the devil's work, how he works. And he has not changed his tactics. He uses the same tactics. He's not creative. He's a thief. He's a distorter. And the conflict in Genesis 3 is important, not simply because it is the first encounter between Satan and the human race, but because it is a par paradigmic, it's an example of virtually all of the subsequent counters as well. It's not simply the beginning of a spiritual warfare. This exposes the, es the essence of the spiritual warfare warfare so let's read and and I've, i know i've spoken this before um but i just there's just primarily one thing that i want to expose the devil this morning in case you have not seen it the first thing that satan does but let's read this whole exchange now the serpent this is genesis chapter 3 verse 1 now the serpent was more cunning Remember we read that he's a schemer. He's a deceiver. He's a schemer. He's mo the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from the tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden. But about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. No. You will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman said that the, the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. There are all sorts of amazing principles in, in this passage of exposing Satan. But I wanted you to focus on how he launches this attack. Because this is how he launches this attack with you and me. And so, invite the Holy Spirit to expose him in your life if he has done this in your life. Okay? So let's read, let's read verse 1 again. 
Now the serpent was most cunning all the wild animals that the Lord God has made. He said to the woman, did God really say? Now, what is so interesting of how he phrases this, he does two things that I just want to highlight this morning. When you read Genesis 1 and 2, until God creates mankind, it is always God said, God said, or the Hebrew word is Elohim, Elohim. Elohim talks about the name of God that's predominantly used. It talks about his power, his deity, his supremacy. Elohim, he's the creator God. The creator God, the power of God is on display when it's referencing God, Elohim. And we read through creation, God has revealed himself as God, Elohim, the creator. Once he makes man and begins a, uh, a dialogue with, with them in chapter 2, we read in verse 3, then God blessed the seventh day. It's not on your screen, sorry. But this chapter 2 verse 3 says, then God blessed the seventh day sanctified because in it he rested from all the work which God had created and made. Verse 4, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, and watch this, in the day that the Lord God made earth and heaven. We get this introduction to God's character, and people believe that Moses wrote this, and Moses is adding this name of God or an aspect to God that was not there in the first chapter. And he says, not just God, Elohim, but he adds the Lord God. And Lord is where we get the name Yahweh. So you have Yahweh, Elohim, Elohim, Yahweh. There's two aspects of God that is now on display. He's no longer just God, the creator, the one that you should fear because he has all power. He can just think and you can just die. He can move the mountain, move the bridge. He's the one that can step into the natural world and do something beyond the belief and beyond the ability of any person or the natural laws that he's even created. He's that God that nothing with him is truly impossible. That with him, all things are possible. Literally, figuratively. That's how the world knows and recognizes God when every time someone says God they talk about God Elohim God the creator the maker so every time your celebrities even a lot of Christians God he's 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 most powerful he's he's my God I'm nothing I'm, I'm dust yeah you're right you are dust and he is all of that and then some But since chapter 2, verse 4, when the Lord God is introduced, then from then on out, it is always, they has the, the name Lord God, Lord God, Lord God. And the beautiful thing about Lord God versus just God is that the Lord, the Yahweh, that is the relational characteristics of God. 
not just the power of God. This is the, the, the faithfulness to his promises, God. This is his presence, not just his power, God. And so the cunningness of Satan, when he comes up to Eve, it is Lord God, Lord God, Lord God. And then he says, right, he says to the uh, verse, verse 1, um, indeed has God said that you shall not eat of the fruit. So he has already tucked in his cunning little schemes to separate the power of God from the presence of God when talking about the thing that God commanded them not to eat. He stripped the relational aspect of God. And when you strip the relational aspect of God, it is easier for you to question God's motive. Because the relational has been separated, has been divorced. And he did it so subtle that Eve did not even pick up on it. He said that the creator, this refers to his strength, his might, his power, over the Yahweh. If he said, Lord God, this would have this relational element, his personality. This is the covenant-keeping name of God. It's a never-changing testimonial faithfulness to all of his promises God. It conveys the thought that God is ever present with his people to save them, to help them, to deliver them, to redeem them, to bless them, to keep the covenant. And Satan has took that away in his attempt to deceive Eve. He took all that away and just said, the power of God, who's your creator, did he say that you can't do this and this? I think this is such a... A amazing exposure of Satan where when you find people who cannot connect with God through the aspect of worshiping him it's probably because they lack the presence of him in their life they don't look to God as their personal savior as their helper as their counselor they're looking to God as a God of that created the universe as a powerful mighty God and it's not wrong it's just not complete he is powerful but he's also relational and so what Satan did from the beginning is he's taken the relational aspect of God and made it religion so now people can go to church and feel like they've appeased the deity. And this is why other people can spend hours on their knees with God because they're relating to him relational. They're singing to him relationally. They're saying you are amazing not because you're powerful. You're amazing because you make promises and you keep those promises. So then your worship changes because the relational peace is intact. And so many of us, we can't even worship for an hour and a half because it is so much about our preference and not about his personhood that we leave here thinking that it was about us. 
and Satan has us so twisted that we will go tonight and watch a three-hour game that no one cares about who you root for the team don't care about where you stand but we're gonna use all of our energy getting behind a team that doesn't know you exist but we can't worship God because it's too emotional it's too long it's too repetitive When you can take the when you take the relational side of God out you get religion and when you get religion you get duty and obligation I don't want to worship God because I'm obligated I won't worship God with a pure heart because of obligation you won't either and you don't that's why you'd rather not worship that's why it's so much about you and so about, about, about me the songs that we sing the length of songs that we do that, that we sing him in And we, before we know it, Satan's already got us. And there are no demons involved. There is no lights flickering in our house. There is no accident. We haven't lost any jobs yet. We've just disconnected from the relational God and that's all he needs. That's a foothold. That's an open door that will deviate your life completely from him. He'll get you to go to church. He'll get you to do things. He'll get you to show up for prayer as long as you're not relationally involved with this God who's your maker and creator. I think there's a, such a key point that we have to figure out. Has the devil cunningly taken our relationship and dulled it? And I'm afraid to say that most people, that's where they are at. Many people here, it's probably that's where you are at. And you may never come back. And I don't care if you come back. As long as you can come back to Jesus. Amen. As long as you can go at his feet and say, Jesus, I don't know who you are. But I want to. I don't have a relationship with you but I want to I crave to smoke I crave to drink I crave to watch sports I crave to go to work I crave for activities and adventures more than I crave you and we realize that we're like in this middle kingdom we're not all out for God but we're also not sacrificing kids to Satan we're just good enough and God's like, you warm, you warm, you warm. And then once he disconnects the relational aspect of God, he then takes God's command and turns it into a question. Did God really say? And as he's turning it into question, he's also focusing on the thing that God told him not to do. And completely disregarded all the other trees, all the other fruit, the whole garden, the whole earth, the whole of animals, all of God's creation, he said yes to. But this one area, the God said, but don't 
do this. Satan takes that and highlights the no. And twists it to say, God, because he's not relational with you, is holding things back from you. His motive is not pure. And you think that this is just a fluke in here? No, it's not. You can get a hundred positive feedback and one negative one will undermine all of your positive feedbacks. You want to ruin a person's life? Criticize them. That will carry far longer than any praises anyone will ever give them. And when he begins to question God's motive, he then minimizes the consequences of their decision. Oh, brush it away. Brush it away. When you're in relationship with someone, it is harder to brush things away. But when you look at them as just an object, like if your boss is just your boss because of the title versus your boss is your friend, even though he has a title, the relationship dynamic is completely different. And what's even worse is if your spouse is your boss. God help your family. Just joking. Just joking. Now, as, as, and I have more, and God just wants to really highlight this, this thing. And, and, as, and as I was reading, like, this, this cunningness of Satan, it reminded me of when Jesus was tempted by the same devil. And how Jesus responded to the devil. In Matthew chapter 4, I'm going to read this, and I'm going to have the band come up. God is working on your heart. I know he is right now. There's like, there's just, just a beautiful presence. The beautiful presence that he has allowed us to experience right now to draw us into a relationship with him. He's drawing you into a relationship with him. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but this is the temptations of Jesus when he was, after he got baptized, right? You guys remember the story, he got baptized. And then the Bible says that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit just drew him into the wilderness. And some translations say that he didn't just like ask him to go. The Holy Spirit just like almost pushed him into the, into the wilderness. And that's when the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. What is Satan emphasizing here? God's power. Did you catch that? If you are so hungry, look at this rock. Turn it into bread. God the creator who's able to turn bread out of rock. It's not that he's unable. Oh, and I, when I read this, I was floored. I'm like, God, unbelievable. And, but Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now I look up the word God. It is the word for Adonai, which is another word, another phrase for Lord. <laughs> Did you catch that? And then saying continues, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. It is written, his angels will... 
he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against the stone look at this able God who is so powerful he will send angels to rescue you and Jesus said to him on the other hand it is written you shall not put the Lord your God to the test And then the third time Satan comes up and says, look at all these things I will give you if you fall down and you worship me. This is all about power. Here's what I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you the influence, the power. I'm going to give you all these nations, all these people. Then Satan said, go. Go away for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only we talk about Christianity being relational and it becomes a Christian cliche oh just relational and all, and all relational and I think Satan has us where he wants us where we can profess it, we can theologically believe that, but our life does not reflect, uh, reflect that at all. And you know who you are. You know that you don't have a relationship with God. And so anytime someone talks about praying or reading the Bible or worshiping or spending time with him or going to the cross and praying for people or taking communion, it is all duty, 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 duty. I will if that's what you really want me to do. And God's convicting you. You have lost your first love. Love is relational. Love is not mechanical. It's relational. It's not religious. It's relational. And religion is not bad. Religion is when you take care of all the people who are, who are in need, when you feed the hungry. That's religious work, and that's fine. But apart from relationship, it's duty. And that's what Jesus came to rescue all of us from. Not so that we can perform duties for him, but that we can live in relationship and from relationship serve him by serving other people. So it doesn't eliminate serving people. It doesn't eliminate coming to church or giving financially or, or helping someone in other ways. It, doesn't, it just enhances it because now you're doing from a place of relationship. And when you do it from a place of relationship, you will not get offended when people reject you. Because relationship says that you are accepted. And so... I know we're like just a few minutes out, but God wants to minister to us here. And this is a big part of our service. This is not just a tail end so that we can sit here for a few minutes. Open yourself up for God to minister to you right now. Let today be the day, the Super Bowl Sunday, that God invades your life. What if that's the, then you will never forget Super Bowl. But I don't want to hear beat you up because I can't force you to step into a relationship with God. Some of you will leave here unchanged and we're going to weep with you and for you. Some of you are going to leave here transformed because you realize and you've been convicted that the relationship in your life is the peace that has been missing. So I want every head 
bowed so that we can give some privacy for people. But even if we don't bow our heads, this is so important and it doesn't matter who sees you. God's calling you into a relationship with Him. God is calling your name right now into a relationship with Him. You know who you are. 